When I was in seminary in North Carolina, I had the opportunity on a number of occasions, actually, to worship at a Messianic Jewish synagogue. If that is a phrase that is unfamiliar to you, a Messianic Jew is someone who grew up in a Jewish home. That is their heritage. Those are their people. But they have come to believe that Jesus of Nazareth is indeed the long-awaited Messiah, the Christ, the Savior of the world. As you can imagine, that doesn't always go over very well in the rest of the family. Learning more about Judaism for me, participating in those services, is something that continues to give me a deeper appreciation of my own faith. To become more familiar with the backstory of Christianity and, and the foundation, really, it's easy to forget that, that Jesus was Jewish, that he grew up observing Jewish customs, and that the majority of our Bibles are actually made up of the Hebrew scriptures. On a related note, very quickly before I forget, want to invite everybody to Put March 29th on your calendars. That is last Sunday in the month of March. It is the week before Palm Sunday. We will be welcoming Dr. Daniel Vail. He is the pastor of a Messianic Jewish congregation in Dallas, Texas. Grew up in Barcelona, Spain, and actually is getting ready to move to Sydney, Australia to pastor a Messianic congregation there. But he will be here with us at both services talking about the significance of the Messiah in the Passover. Really looking forward to it. I think it'll be really neat, especially with Holy Week happening right after. Back to my story. When I was in North Carolina and I was visiting with this congregation, I was introduced to a book that has stuck with me ever since. It's simply entitled Betrayed, written by a man named Stan Telkin. And in this book, he tells his own story about a phone call that he received one day from his daughter. Telkin was a very influential Jewish businessman, very active in his local synagogue. Faith is very important to him. And one day he received a phone call from his daughter where she informed him that she had come to believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And the title of the book comes from the way that he felt at that moment when he heard that news. He felt betrayed. And so he sets out on this journey to investigate Jesus of Nazareth so that he could disprove his daughter's newfound faith. And I'm sure you can see where I'm headed with this. It happens all the time. As he sets out to disprove the legitimacy of Jesus, he is actually converted in the process. Now, it's been a while since I've actually read this book, but as I recall, there were three main things that caused Telkin's heart to change because in the end, he too accepted Jesus as the Messiah. 
There were three main reasons that caused this change in his heart. The first one, I want to save to the end of the message, I'll tell you then, but I'll go ahead and tell you the second and third reasons right now. One big reason for Telkin, one of the things that made him believe was the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem by Rome in 70 AD. Now, if you don't see the significance of that, let me explain very quickly. The temple in Jerusalem, not only was it a place of worship, but it was a place where very important records were stored. In particular, the lineage records. And so whenever a new child was born, their names were recorded and they were stored. Uh, who their parents were, what tribe they came from, their ancestry was kept in the temple. And you know this, we all know this, that the Christ was promised to be born from the lineage of Abraham and of King David. And when the temple was destroyed in 70 AD, all of those records were destroyed as well. And so from that point forward, it has no longer been possible to prove the lineage of the Messiah, if that makes sense. This was a big deal for Telkin. Another big thing for him was, and I'll say it this way, really just the sheer number of Old Testament prophecies that were fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, to explain a little bit more about what I'm talking about when I say that, I want to read a few paragraphs to you. This comes from an article on CBN.com. I don't usually like to read things in my message, but it is so well written. It covers in about two minutes what it would take me about 10 minutes to say. So this is really profound. I invite you to listen. It says, The passion of Jesus Christ stands alone as the most important event creation has ever known. The Bible tells us that long before the world began, God had planned that the crucifixion of Jesus would be the method and the payment for sin, the only payment that would reconcile sinners to a holy and loving God. At this point, he actually quotes the Bible. The author does 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 19 through 20. He paid for you with the precious lifeblood of Christ, the sinless and spotless Lamb of God. God chose him for this purpose long before the world began. But now in these final days, he was sent to the earth for all to see, and he did it all for you. Down through history, God provided us a road map he foretold various signs and conditions through his prophets. These prophets spoke of things that mankind should watch for, that the Messiah would be recognized and believed. Stay with me. It's about to get good. These signs or prophecies were given to us in the Old Testament. The Old Testament is the part of the Bible written before Jesus was born. Its writings were completed in 450 B.C. 
The Old Testament, written hundreds of years before Jesus' birth, contains, get this, over 300 prophecies that Jesus fulfilled during his life, death, and resurrection. If you want to put that into a little bit of perspective this morning, mathematically speaking, the odds of any one person fulfilling that number of prophecies is staggering. Mathematicians, real-life mathematicians like my friend Keith Rawson, put it this way. The chances, the odds of one person fulfilling even eight of these Old Testament prophecies is one in 100 quadrillion. That's a real word. It means the number one with 17 zeros behind it. Okay, that's just one person fulfilling eight prophecies. The chances, the odds of one person fulfilling 48 prophecies is one in 10 to the 157th power. Mathematicians don't even have a name for that one. It's just the number one with 157 zeros behind it. That's talking about 48 prophecies. The chances of one person fulfilling 300 plus prophecies, the mathematicians quoted in this article, they don't even try to figure that one out. All it says is only Jesus. Only Jesus. It is the magnificent detail of these prophecies that mark the Bible as the inspired word of God. Only God could foreknow and accomplish all that was written about the Christ. This historical accuracy and reliability sets the Bible apart from any other book or record. And what we just read together this morning, that says an awful lot, doesn't it? Not only about the Bible, but also about Jesus. If you want to talk about someone who succeeded in their purpose against all odds, Jesus Christ is the ultimate example. I want to pose a question this morning. It's one that I believe is important, and the question is this. What kind of difference could it possibly make in our lives today if we were to let this truth truly make its way into our hearts, that even when the odds are stacked against him, Jesus comes through? What kind of difference could that make? make in our lives today. We'll come back to that. This morning we are beginning a brand new message series together entitled In Christ Alone. And in this series, which is going to take us through the Lenten season and also through Easter, we are going to be taking a look together at some of the different things that make Jesus Christ so incredibly unique. Unlike anybody else who has ever lived in the history of the world. And just in case you missed it, 
we've already begun. Our passage of scripture for this morning, it comes from Luke's gospel, chapter 4, beginning in verse 16. As you make your way there this morning, just an important thing to note, I believe, is that in Luke's gospel, this is the first story about Jesus that we see following his 40-day fast in the wilderness. Remember that Jesus's 40-day fast in the wilderness in preparation for his public ministry is really the main place in scripture that we get the model or the example of the Lenten season that we observe today. So Jesus comes out of this 40-day fast in the wilderness, and this is the first thing we see that happens. Here's what it says. And Jesus came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. This is his hometown. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, For the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And Jesus rolled up the scroll. He gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. There are a lot of things I love about it. This morning, I'm just going to limit myself to th three things that I love about this story. The first one we've actually already talked about quite a bit has to do with the multiple messianic prophecies that Jesus fulfills. In these six verses that we just read together, I don't know if you were counting, but I counted six unique messianic markers that Jesus lifts up in this passage. And we'll just walk through them very quickly together. The first messianic marker that is mentioned in this passage is that this one who comes would be one on whom the Spirit of the Lord would rest. First place that my mind goes here is, remember Jesus' baptism? What happened there when he comes out of the water and it says the Spirit of the Lord descended upon him in the form of a dove and there was a voice from heaven that said, this is my beloved, the one in whom I am well pleased. So we see that's one of them already fulfilled. The second and third are similar, so I'll just, I'll kind of lump those together. One who would proclaim good news to the poor and proclaim liberty to the captives. I think that this one, that those two things really summarize Jesus's entire ministry. I mean, 
good news. You know that that's what the word gospel literally means. Jesus' whole ministry was about liberty, freedom, and good news. The fourth messianic marker that we find in this passage is recovery of sight to the blind. There's a few examples of where Jesus does this in his ministry, but one of my favorites is found in John chapter 9, verses 1 through 12. You remember the man who was blind from birth, and yet Jesus grants him and restores his sight through the power of the Holy Spirit. Just two left in in this passage. Set at liberty those who are oppressed. There's so many examples of each of these, it's hard to choose, but one of my favorites is John chapter 8. Remember that woman who was caught in a sinful act, and everybody was gathered around, and they were ready, literally, to put her to death, and Jesus steps in, and he rescues her. He sets her free. And then finally, the reading says that the Messiah would proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, something I believe we see him actually doing in the passage that we read together. Now, there's a lot of background behind that one that has to do with the celebration of Jubilee and canceling debts and letting physical slaves freed. But this morning, just wanted to take a very quick look at Again, six messianic markers that we see fulfilled. Remember, in total, there's over 300. Now, I'm not 100% sure what the statistical probability of one person fulfilling six of these messianic prophecies. I do remember, though, from about five minutes ago that one person filling eight prophecies is one in 100 quadrillion. So I'm just guessing that six is pretty significant as well. So again, first thing jumps out to me about this passage has to do with the fulfillment of multiple messianic prophecies. It's a pretty big deal. Second thing that jumps out to me about this passage of Scripture is what Jesus said at the very end. Did you catch it? He said, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. There's a number of times in Jesus' life and his ministry when he is somewhat enigmatic, almost secretive or mysterious about his identity as the Messiah. But this is not one of those places. Everybody who was in attendance that day would have known exactly what he was talking about when he said that. A lot of Old Testament prophets spoke of the coming Messiah, but the most famous, the most prolific would have been the prophet Isaiah, who lived and ministered about 700 years before Jesus was even born. And the passage of scripture that Jesus read on that day literally is Isaiah 61 verses one through two. One of the most famous of all the messianic prophecy passages. So when Jesus reads that, and he says, today this has been fulfilled in your hearing, here's what he was really saying. He's saying, I'm the one that Isaiah 
was talking about. You don't have to look any further because it's me. I'm right here. Wow. So how did the people who were there that day respond to this message? Well, verse 22, it tells us how they responded initially. It says, all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. That was their heart response. But give him just a few more minutes to, to start thinking about it. And then they change their reaction drastically. We read a little bit further, verses 28 through 30. Here's what happens next in this story. It says, all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of town, and took him to the brow of a hill which the town was built upon in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. You know, Jesus' own people may have rejected him. Those particular people on that particular day but, you know, it didn't take away anything from who he was, who he is. Didn't slow him down or stop him, even for a moment, from doing what he set out to do. And so for us today, looking back, this story becomes just another example of Jesus defying the odds. I mean, when everything is stacked against him. Remember, they were going to kill him, and he just walked right through their midst. It's one of those miracles that doesn't get a tremendous amount of attention, but it is a miracle nonetheless. So last detail about our passage that I want to point out this morning has to do with the nature of the message itself. So we've talked about the multiple messianic prophecies fulfilled. We've talked about Jesus himself saying plainly and clearly, I'm the Messiah. The last thing that I just really love about this passage is really just the nature of the message itself, the one that Isaiah foretells and Jesus fulfills. Why is it so important? Because it tells us a lot about Jesus. It tells us a lot about God. The things that are important to them and what they are like. In a word, here's what it teaches us. That people, that's me, it's you, it's us. That That's the most important thing to God. Ordinary people, especially people who are going through difficult times and have the odds stacked against them. Jesus is not concerned, is he, with establishing an empire or an earthly kingdom. What he cares about most is us, especially when we are hurting. Now you want to talk about something unique. Someone who puts the needs of others in front of themselves. That's something that is special in any day and age. Amen? But there it is. He loves us. And there is no obstacle that can stand in the way between 
him and us. There's one. It is ourselves. We can get in our own way sometimes, but that's it. Paul, in fact, tells us that there's nothing above the earth, on the earth, below the earth that can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Here's where I believe it brings us back around, doesn't it? To that question we asked a few moments ago, what kind of difference might it make in our lives today? I mean, to to really let that truth make its way into our hearts that even when the odds are stacked against him, Jesus comes through. Always. This is one of those things that can change everything. Absolutely everything. Now, I hesitate to insert a sports analogy here, especially when we're just getting so deep, but I just can't help it. When I read this passage of scripture, I think about the Kansas City Chiefs and the games that we all watched in the playoffs and in the Super Bowl. How many times when the odds were stacked against them did they come back? In fact, it seemed like the more impossible the situation seemed, the bigger and the better they got. I don't know about you, but watching those games has changed the way that I watch football, probably will for the rest of my life. Here's why. Because now I know, I know because I've seen it, that anything is possible and that it's never too late. You see, when we let this truth, the truth about God's power and the goodness of his plan make its way into our hearts. It changes everything. The way that we view the entire world and all of a sudden we have things we didn't have before. Things like hope and peace and confidence and we can be positive people. This is the kind of transformation that it changes the lives of individuals. It changes families. It changes churches. You want to know one thing that every amazing and incredible church has in common? I'm talking about the ones that God really uses to change lives and change history. Here's what it is. It's that enough individuals within the church have chosen to seek Jesus Christ, and to place their trust in him. Because here's what happens. When we seek Jesus, we find Jesus. When we find Jesus, we experience Jesus. When we experience Jesus, it changes us. And again, all of a sudden, we have things we didn't have before. Hope and peace and confidence And that is catching, too, isn't it? Critical mass, that's the technological term, what we're talking about here. When this happens to enough individual people, changes the entire culture of the community of faith. The squeaky wheel doesn't get all the oil anymore, does it? And anything becomes possible. Anything becomes possible. 
In closing this morning, just want to come back to this book for a moment, The Betrayed One, and tell you what the number one thing is that made Talcon a believer in Jesus Christ. At the end of the day, wasn't his research, wasn't mathematical improbabilities, it was simply the transformation that he observed in his daughter because she had a relationship with Jesus Christ. It completely changed her. And it ended up changing him, too. And it ended up changing mom, too. And here we are today, still being ministered to by this testimony. Just love that story. Begins with a man who feels he's been absolutely betrayed. And it ends up with an entire family changed forever. In Christ. In Christ alone do stories like that happen still happen today if we have eyes to see and ears to hear if last wednesday ash wednesday the beginning of lent happened to slip by you just want you to know it's not too late we're only four days in you can still get in on this I mean, the invitation is always open to us to make more space for Christ in our heart and in our lives. Always open to us. But there is something special about this Lenten season. I know I said it last week, but I'll say it again. Maybe it's the fact that we're all in this together. Maybe it's the fact that we know that resurrection is right around the corner. Either way, my prayer for us is that we will make the most of this Lenten season. And we can know that as we draw nearer to him, he draws nearer to us. Will you pray with me? Father God, as we contemplate even the small truths that we have looked at and considered together this morning, we are reminded that you are a big God. You are a good God. Continue the work that you have begun in each one of us. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.